0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I loved hearing what they're doing, and it just uh, touches, just barely touches on it. Uh, On our website, we have a a thing called the Find It page, and you can click on it, and there's uh, about a six-minute video that they have prepared that goes into more detail about the ministry, the mobilization ministry that they are uh, heading up in in Kenya. And it, it's just incredible, and it's a wonderful connection for us because of our Starfish Kenya ministry and the work that we have been doing there for over a decade ourselves in, in and through this church. But um, m- many of you need to seriously pray and think about supporting that ministry. Uh, you, you, Our... our church, your church gateway does provide some support, but there's a lot more that they could use. And um, some of you, that may be exactly what God is calling you to do, is to make that kind of a, a financial investment or to, to come alongside them and pray for them. And for some of you, it may go even further to say, you know, maybe this is something I'm being called to do, to go into this kind of ministry, to be a missionary, to step beyond what what I would typically think of as, you know, graduate from high school, go off to college, and, and then get a job. Uh, we've had, over the years, a number of folks um, who have gone on, like Meredith, to be call, feel called by God to be a missionary and, and, or in other various aspects of ministry. In fact, this very week, we have five of our church family who are headed off to a retreat to explore. God is calling them into ministry to be pastors, and uh, we're very excited about that. Many of you have known uh, a a young man from our church, Carson Minish, who grew up here, uh, who served as an intern here a couple of years ago. Uh, He is returning in about three weeks to join our staff full time to provide leadership for discipleship ministries and young adult ministries here at Gateway. And we're very excited about that. And, and you look across, our uh, when you're, uh, you look up here or around, you look at our staff, you look at the, many of the leaders of this church and you see people that, that have grown up here, that God has worked in their lives and, and called them into ministry either through this church or through other churches around. There are dozens that have come out of this church and, and who knows, maybe for some of you, this is what God is saying to you, and you, you kind of haven't maybe wanted to hear it. Um, I guarantee you that, that most, if not all of those folks, and I include myself in that, we don't start out to, to be missionaries or be pastors or to work on a church staff. God kind of derails the plans that many of us have for life with a greater plan, with a much greater plan. And what I can tell you is that when you discover God's plan for your life, whether it's, it is missionary or being a pastor or serving in a church, or if it is teaching or working in the insurance industry or being a scientist or an engineer, or whatever the case may be, when, when you discover and you f- live out what God is calling you to do, it feels just right and like God can use that in all kinds of ways and, and like you can't not do it. Some of you have heard me say that when I graduated from college, I was an engineer and I came here to Houston to to work and I had a five-year goal that I set for myself, that that I would um, own my own home, have my own dogs, had two Labradors, Um, I would have a sports car uh, and I would also have a jeep so I could pull my bass boat. You know, so that, those are my priorities, and, and within three years, I had three of the five, and so I was feeling pretty good about that, like I was moving in the right direction, until God interfered, until I felt called to ministry. And I want to tell you, I doubted it at first. I couldn't believe it would be true. I thought there's no way. I, I grew up in a, a, a an area in a, in a setting where there wasn't, we didn't have much financially. And, and I thought, no, I need to provide. I need to, you know, go get a good job. I like science. I like math. And, and yet God was persistent. And I tried to deny it. I tried to run from it almost every way I could imagine. And yet after months and months of that, I finally surrendered to that calling. And I've never regretted it. I have, I've never regretted it. Regretted. I've gotten tired a couple of times, but I haven't regretted it. And, and, and the point of all this is whether it's being a pastor or being a missionary or working in an office or going to school, so Jesus can use us and he has a place for every single one of us to, to make a difference. And, and Jesus gave us the great commandment to, to love God and love our neighbors. That's a result of having Christ in our lives. Jesus said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And and when we love God and we love our neighbor, it leads to another big thing that Jesus told us to do. To the great commission that he calls you and me to do to take that good news To others to make not just simply to tell them but to make disciples to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples in other words multiplication which is exactly what colin was talking about not just what is in it for me but what is in it for me that through me can be used by me by the grace of god to help others experience that so that jesus said go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in in Southern California, says a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission leads to a great commitment church. But I want to take that a step further and say that it also leads to a great Christian, a great follower of Christ. Jesus says loving, loving God, sort of the vertical, loving our neighbor, the horizontal, and making disciples for Jesus Christ is at the core of what it means to be his follower. It's To be his follower is not to sit around and observe. It is to love God, love neighbor, And to make disciples, I want to tell you we are not here for ourselves. Now that flies in the face of much of the popular cultural message of our day -day, today—that we're here to get what we can, to get ahead—that it it life owes us. But it is an empty well when you keep living for that. We are not here for ourselves and what we get out of it simply, even what we get out of Christ just for us, but what we give of Christ from our lives to others. And I want to challenge you to look beyond what's in it for me or why is Christianity important to me, but rather why is Christianity through me important to others? Love means accepting someone for who they are and sacrificially working for their good, not my good. It's not about me. It's not about us because when it is, it's just being self-centered. And you may take a little step in that direction. It may not seem a big deal, but I want to tell you, most of us have lived long enough that we've taken enough of those self-centered steps to discover we can become very selfish. And that's a dangerous place to live. Love has to be lived out as both a choice and an action. It's not just something I feel. If I don't do it, it's not real. And the Apostle Paul says it's actually meaningless. It's useless. One of the great chapters of the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote was 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. And it has that beautiful picture that love is patient, love is kind. But what we forget is before he talks about that, he tells us the danger when we don't love. He says, beginning at the beginning of that chapter, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, that would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. My son's about to start back in summer band tomorrow, and sometimes you get around those cymbals, and when they clang the wrong way, it just hurts. And there is that picture of the pain if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, I knew everything. Imagine, you could know everything. But, but Paul says, if I had such faith, even that I could move mountains, amazing things could happen, but did not love others, that would be nothing. It's not what we expect to read. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. Look what I did. Look how great I am. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Notice, Paul here is saying that without love, I'm just noise. I'm noise in the world. I gain nothing, and in fact, I am nothing. Love defines the life and lifestyle of Jesus Christ and his followers. In fact, it defines life itself. If life is not working for you because you've been trying to get what you need, maybe it's time to start looking at life the way Jesus calls us to look. That it's not about getting, but it's about giving. It's not about how much can I receive, but how much can I give by the grace of God. God. Paul says, I can know the Bible frontwards and backwards. I can know all the stuff. I can even memorize it. And I can display these amazing gifts of God and do amazing things. But if there is no love in who I am or what I do, it's useless. It's useless. See, you and I are not saved. Those of us who are saved, who have decided to follow Jesus Christ, and I know not all of us have in here, but for those of us, who have, we are not saved for ourselves, we are saved for the sake of the world, for the sake of others, to make a difference by loving those whom we encounter, whether it's on the other side of the world or right here in our local high school or junior high school or elementary school or neighborhood or wherever. christianity is meaningless if it isn't engaged into the world through us by love it's just noise the clanging's gone it's nothing And, and there are many ways to express this love of god to others but one of the the best and most practical ways to show love is this biblical idea of what's called hospitality which Most of us understand what that is. Hospitality, there's no special secret definition to it. And one of the most interesting depictions of it occurs early in the Bible in Genesis with the patriarch Abraham. So I want us to, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis is the very first book in the Old Testament. In the 18th chapter, we're going to start right at the beginning. It's really a part of about a two-chapter story, but we're just going to look at the first eight verses this morning because that's what we, wanna, what we wanna drill down into. And right at the beginning of, of verse one, it, it says, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. Now, this is actually a, a narrator, and he's kind of giving you and me a little bit of, a, of an inside picture of what's going on here. Something that, in fact, Abraham does not know. That Abraham is about to have an encounter with the living God. And he's not going to know it at first. So then we go to the second part of verse one, and the story begins. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. That's going to be kind of what happens when you walk out of here. It'll be hot, and what do we do? Well, like that, we typically kind of we go eat, and then we want to we want to go snooze, right? I do. <laughs> um. And, and, and so did Abraham. Odds are that's exactly what he had been doing. He'd been doing his morning work. He's an, he's, he's an old guy already, and now he's, he's resting during the heat of the day, maybe even snoozing, because suddenly we kind of get the impression in verse two that he's been surprised. It says he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. How do three men get close by? Unless maybe you're kind of napping. Then when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. Now, the text tells us that Abraham sees three men. Now, we know that the Lord is in their midst. And later still, in the next chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, we're going to learn that, in fact, these guys are angels, angels of the Lord. But Abraham doesn't know that at this point. And so he addresses them with a language of respect. He says Lord, but it's not a capital L Lord. It's a lowercase Lord in most of your translations. And and so it's not the same Hebrew word for Lord God that was used in verse one. And, and, And we'll see that through here. But Abraham offers hospitality. Verse three, he says, my Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. Remember, this was a, a culture where they didn't wear boots. They wore sandals. And so as you walked along, you would get, your feet would get dusty and dirty. And one of the most soothing things you could do was to wash your feet. In fact, 2,000 years later, Jesus would complain to the Pharisee who he'd come to his house to visit. And he said, I came to my house and you didn't even offer to wash my feet. This was the most basic of hospitality. And at the Last Supper, Jesus himself knelt down to wash the feet. So it was a a kind thing to do, a way of creating welcome. Verse 5 then, and since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you've said. And Abraham knows nothing about these guys. Doesn't know where they're headed, what's their story, what they're about. But that does not stop him from pulling out the stops to be kind and loving, even offering them food. The implication that in, here in verse 5 is, is that it, it's probably going to be like a snack. But Abraham, in fact, is going to do a lot more. Abraham is extravagant with his hospitality more than his words let on, and perhaps fearing that if he told them all that he intended to do, they'd probably leave, say, well, no, we need to go on. So he just says, hold on, I've got something, I'll fix something for you. So then in verse six, he runs back to the tent and he says to his wife, Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour. Now these measures were probably a couple of gallons each. So this is not a little five pound bag of flour we're talking about. This is like a bucket of flour. This is serious flour. Knead it to dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And again, he's got three people that he's trying to feed. He, he doesn't go out and grab a bunny rabbit. He doesn't go out and grab a little baby lamb or something. He gets a calf. We're talking about an animal that's 70, 80, 100 pounds. All right? So this is not just a little bitty snack. Can you imagine He said, just take me a minute. How long did it take to prepare that meal? I mean, these guys, maybe they're standing up there going, hmm, 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 hmm. I don't know, you know. But, But when the food was ready, it says, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the tree. He's the homeowner. He's the host. And he waited on them. This is no snack, it's a full-fledged meal. Abraham is offering these visitors his best. And the story wants us to notice that even in verse 8, here at the end of this, what we're reading, he still thinks he's just offering hospitality and kindness to some men. But you and I know differently. And, and, and this little 8 verses is part of, again, of a much bigger passage where this... Abraham, a very old man, and his wife Sarah learned she's about to become pregnant in fulfillment of God's promise. And and from here, two of these guys that they're feeding who we know are angels are gonna proceed on to Sodom to investigate the evil there. But in these simple eight verses, we see Abraham offering loving, even extravagant hospitality to visitors just because it's what he does. It's how he expresses love to another and throughout the bible we see this kind of hospitality being the norm for the people of god the, this degree of hospitality when it's offered it alters it derails people's plans because the visitors stayed a lot longer you can be sure than they otherwise would have but they were blessed by the kindness of abraham and yet as the story will go on to show abraham also is blessed by the lord god because of his loving kindness In fact, the the New Testament writer of Hebrews was probably thinking about this very event when he encouraged his readers to show hospitality to strangers. He said, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Now, he didn't say for one has done this, like it's only happened once. He said some. The implication is that was not the only time it happened, Not the only time it happened 4,000 years ago. Not the only time it happened 2,000 years ago. Biblically, I think we can argue that it's still happening even today. This is an opportunity. And sometimes it may be an angel and we don't know it. But it's also a test of our Christian faith. Are we loving God and loving our neighbor? Are we willing to go to great extremes like the the Samaritan traveler did who helped the hated Jew who had fallen and and was, was beaten up by the side of the road to take care of him, to show loving kindness? Are we willing to share a cup of water and even a meal with an outcast with somebody who's not one of us, is not part of our group, who's different from us, in fact, maybe even doesn't like us as Jesus did in the Gospel of John with a Samaritan woman at the well. The Bible says, Romans 12, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Not occasionally, when it suits you, always. Peter said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now that's where it gets some of us Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm willing to help, but then I go back and I tell my wife or I tell my friends, oh boy, did you see what I had to do? That was such a pain. No, without grumbling. Biblical hospitality is loving our neighbor through concrete actions that may put us out, that may derail our own plans, but it is worth it for the sake of the other because this is what Jesus did for us. But, But more than that, it's what he calls us to do, even commands us to do for others. And yet, this typically doesn't come naturally to, to many of us. And certainly in the church, we can be guilty of doing, doing this p- even poorly. I came across this, this cartoon. It says, the whole church watched with nervous anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. I have been in those churches now, my prayer is that it's never been this church. My prayer is that there's not a single one of you that's ever felt like you were sitting in a place and someone came and stood over you. Um, that's my seat. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't see a name written on it. No, but, but that's my seat. I have sat in that seat every Sunday since they built this church. In fact, I gave enough money to be sure I bought it. You see, there's no hospitality there. It's all about me, it's all about what what I deserve. That is never the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't say, I don't deserve the cross. He went on it for us, and he calls us to do for others, for their sake. Here at Gateway, we offer coffee and uh, volunteers and greeters and ushers as ways to to be intentional about hospitality and and help us be sure not to be like things like you see there. But but biblically, you and I need to understand that and how much we love and appreciate our volunteers is this is not simply the calling of volunteers. This is the calling of every Christ follower. It is the command that Jesus gives us to go and love our neighbors as ourselves. I mean, it should never be the case that someone says, well, I'm not a greeter. Every single one of you is a greeter. Every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus Christ is called to make a difference in how you live your life. And, and it can be radical and it can call us to derail our plans and, and it can be uncomfortable. But for the sake of the other, as a practical daily way to fulfill the great commandment, to love our neighbor, and to open the door for them to the great commission for us to help them become disciples of Jesus Christ because kindness and love opens hearts to the truth. As Paul said, if our actions aren't carried out in love, they're noise or worse came across this week something a Pastor Mark Buchanan wrote he said western hospitality is inviting friends over for a few hours biblical hospitality is is persuading strangers to stay one more night divine hospitality, God's hospitality is pursuing enemies at great personal cost to turn them into sons and daughters and to welcome them in your home and at your table forever That's a whole different picture. Hospitality is not an afterthought or or something for super Christians. It is a calling of Christ to every one of his followers in every setting we find ourselves in. Yes, at church, but also at school, in our homes, which can sometimes be one of the worst places for us to be hospitable to each other in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. It's not about being good to earn brownie points with God, but being kind and loving for the sake of others. Just as Jesus was kind and loving to us for our sake. And yes, it may derail our plans. How likely was it that our plans were gonna change the life of another? How likely was it that it was gonna impact the world? I think it's okay for our plans to be derailed because God's plan has eternal value and significance. And when we offer hospitality, we, we may not, it may not only derail our plans, but it may also derail the plans of those we're being kind to, just as Abraham derailed the journey of those angels. And yet that hospitality may open the door for that person to see Christ, maybe even for the very first time. The Bible points us to offering hospitality, in fact, even to those who are hostile to us. And say, now all of a sudden, some of you say, now you are gone to Medlin. It was fine to be hospitable to people I like, but to be hospitable to people who don't like me, who are hostile or don't care, but because it is a witness of love to someone who may not be receiving much of any love anywhere else from anyone else. How do you think we change lives? What do you think changes? Do you think laws or rules change people? No. Love changes people. Love lived out to touch another life. And even if they seem hostile, the Bible says, in a strange way, we still ought to do it. Romans twelve twenty says, if your enemies are hungry, your enemies feed them. If they are thirsty, Give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Now, this isn't to harm them, but this is to raise questions within them. Why would somebody who who I have been mean to, why would they be nice to me? Why would they do something for me when what I've done? They may not answer you. They may never acknowledge that. But I guarantee you that many of them will walk away from there and their brain is ticking because it doesn't make sense. Maybe some of you are here today because someone was kind and loving to you when you didn't deserve it, when you had been mean and cruel and heartless to somebody else, and they still did it. That's where lives get changed. That's what opens doors. That's what helps people consider why we're doing what we're doing and who is behind why we're doing what we're doing. It really can change a life. Biblical hospitality is, is frankly, it's, it's just love. It's love in action. And it's not what the unbelieving world expects. And so when it happens, it points people to Christ himself in us. John writes in his first letter, he says, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John says that when we're loving others through hospitality and other means, people actually start to see God in us. They see actions that don't make sense. They see, they see a, a different lifestyle, even though God himself cannot be seen. And that's why loving our enemies is so powerful. We can't change enemies by beating them up. We may hold them at bay. But ultimately, to change enemies, you got to change their heart. And love is the only thing that will do that. But even more, John says that the act of loving one another perfects God's love in me, in us. It grows us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus himself. Loving one another is not just a command, but a grace-filled action that also transforms me. See, when we're derailed by loving others, it not only opens the door for that person to experience Christ, but it also opens the door wider for me to grow in Christ. Today, God's going to give you opportunities. Probably in the first 10 minutes after you get up out of your seat, to be kind, to offer hospitality, to derail maybe a plan that you already have in place. The question is, will you be loving? Will you step out and and let it derail for the sake of another? Or will you just go on and overlook the opportunity? I don't know what it's going to be. I can't even begin to imagine. It, it, It may be Helping someone out there, it may be not cutting someone off or letting them in on the freeway. It may be being nice to the wait staff wherever you're going. You know, those of you who have been wait staff know that Sundays at noon, there's a people from church have a very bad reputation as being the chinsiest, meanest people. Shouldn't we be the kindest, most generous? You're going to have an opportunity five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from now. Maybe it's going to be going right out this door and talking to Meredith and Colin about their ministry and how you can be involved or how you can learn more or how maybe you can even do something like that because maybe God's tickling something around in your head. Maybe it'll be at home. Maybe it'll be over the phone. But God's gonna offer you an opportunity to extend hospitality, to love your neighbor. And you have to decide, how am I gonna respond? Will I let it derail some of my plans, slow me down maybe, take me out of my comfort zone? Or will I love my neighbor? And maybe even derail their plans. I still remember, Back in 1981, I was, hadn't been in church in quite a while, and an acquaintance of mine, a guy I hardly knew, invited me to his church. And I didn't particularly want to go, but I, I agreed to go. I didn't even run into him at the church. I went, and I did like a lot of us do. I walked into church, and I tried to get as far away from everybody and everything as possible. You know, I sat up in the balcony toward the back, Kind of got down like this. I didn't want any, I didn't, I didn't do anything to encourage people to talk to me. But as I was sitting there, however I looked, another young woman who I'd never met saw me, determined, guessed I was probably a guest or a first time person, and invited me back to a church event later that week. And I didn't go to church that day for that. I didn't go to church to come back. I didn't go to church to meet somebody. I didn't go to church thinking I'd gain brownie points. I just, I just kind of went. But I ended up going and over a year later, I completely committed my life to Jesus Christ. A couple of years after that, I accepted God's call to go into ministry. And I have been grateful ever since for those two simple acts of two individuals that I cannot even tell you their names today. A young man and a young woman. One who invited me just to go to his church. Another who said, why don't you come back to this event? You might, have a, you might, you might enjoy it. And Somehow in the midst of that hospitality, God has worked in my life. And if, if through all that, if, if somehow God has done something wonderful in your life through this church, maybe it was connected somehow to the hospitality of that man and that woman almost 40 years ago. Can you imagine what he can do with each one of you when you love your neighbor, when you're just friendly, hospitable, when it, yeah, it might derail your plans, might derail their plans, but God might just use it to change the world in ways that you can't even fathom right now. I'm sure those folks don't even know where I'm at today or what I'm doing. You probably won't know. You won't see the results of Kindness and being loving and hospitable. In fact, you may get more of an earful. You know, people tell you off. But God never wastes an ounce of his love when it flows through us. It will change somebody. It will make a difference. And I invite you to let him use you starting today. Our prayer team is gonna be right down here if you wanna talk with someone. They would love to pray with you. If you're a guest today or you brought a guest, we're gonna be, some of us will be right out this door on the right-hand side, and and we'd love to just say hello to you and meet you, and right out that door on the left-hand side, Colin and Meredith are gonna be out there, and I hope you'll step by and say hello. A lot of you, a lot of you need to get to know them, and a lot of you need to get involved and see how God can use you help them let's pray God thanks so much that you have blessed us in ways we can't even imagine to work and make a difference in this world it seems so innocuous that just simple hospitality could could make a difference and yet every one of us knows that when we've walked in a place and no one has paid any attention to us it's been enough to turn us off to not come back because we're all relational creatures to some degree And your love can change everything. Help us, Father, to love as we have been loved, even more than than we've understood how we've been loved. Use us as instruments of that to express hospitality, to be used by you, to make a difference. Yes, it may derail our plans, God, but what were our plans? Were they just simply to have a good time, to get through the next two hours? Can they be your plan to change the world? Father, that's a much greater plan. And though we can't always see it and we won't always recognize results from it, you are God. You are all powerful. And nothing done in love, through your love, will ever come back empty or void. Use us, therefore, Father, for your glory. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go out and love the world. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.